0: Everybody, and welcome to Fearless Fabulous You. It's March 21st, so it's Spring in the Action week. Um, I hope you're all feeling sunny and bright. I know I am this beautiful day here in New York City. As you know, my show is about inspiring women and helping you. Be and live the best life you can on your terms. Uh, you can follow me at Mighty Melanie on Twitter, my Facebook page, Fearless Fabulous Melanie, and learn about everything I do in the world of marketing, health coaching, and writing my books at MelanieYoung.com. Um, love helping women find what they want to do in their life and pursue it. Uh, As many of you know, I ran a public relations uh, culinary events business for 20 years called M. Young Communications. It was eponymous. I started it um, because I no longer wanted to work for anybody else. I was working for very large PR agencies, and then my beloved grandmother dropped dead of a massive heart attack. I went down to Tennessee to see her, stayed a few extra days to be with my family, and got a written reprimand from my boss about not following the rules and coming back to work on time and that was when i said no one is going to tell this girl when to report to duty i make my own rules and i started my own company about nine months later bingo no business training no seed money no investors just me and an ibm and a phone Um, but that was then and that was nineteen eighty nine great twenty-year run decided to do something different today According to American Express Open State of Women-Owned Businesses, 2015, more than 9.4 million firms are owned by women, employing nearly 7.9 million people, generating $1.5 trillion in sales as of 2015. Women-owned firms, 51% or more, account for 31% of all privately held firms, and contribute 14% of unemployment and 12% of revenues. Ladies, we are in a economic boom period for women-owned businesses. The overall increase, 8.3 million new jobs. Thank you to women businesses. We still have other ways um, that we're still challenged. We still make cent, seventy nine cents on the dollar to men as employees. We do better when we're self-employed. I truly believe that, and I truly believe in the economic Theory. One, support women-owned businesses. Two, invest in women-led startups. Three, mentor, train, and hire women. Those are my words. But we're going to hear from someone who has a lot to say on this topic. Her name is Joanna Croats. She is uh, a, a journalist who writes for many, many... Um, Publications, um, and you can follow her also on Huffington Post. She is the author of "Being Equal Doesn't Mean Being the Same." Her latest book. Um, she also wrote the Microsoft Small Business Kit, a 500-page guide to starting and growing a company, and she has a series on a um, podcast on the Women's Playbook. Uh, she's prolific, and I'm delighted to have her on. And I want to welcome Joanna Croats. Thank you, Melanie. You, you've got all my thunder from all those
1: steps you just reeled off. I'm impressed. Oh.
0: <laughs> well, I you know, I, I read your book, and I, and I do a lot of homework to prep for shows, and this is a topic that um, is important to me because I like to see women thrive and succeed, and I like to see women supporting them. I am um, uh, taken by the title of your book, Being Equal Doesn't Mean Being the same, why behaving like a girl can change your life and grow your business. Let's talk about that because I, I always learned if you want to be successful, you've got to compete and act like the men.
1: Yeah, I, I, I obviously, the, the subtitle in particular is uh, in your face. I mean, I chose it to be provocative, mm-hmm. but I do believe it. I, I believe firmly that, uh, and having been at four major media companies myself, you know, as a top notch, uh, one of the top. Editors at national magazines, I had to go through what works in a corporate uh, situation as well as after that starting my own business. So I've seen it um, from both sides, on the inside and the outside, and as a journalist. And it seems to me the rules are made by men. You know, women do not behave or manage or grow or launch or facilitate the way men do, they simply don't. And it's a combination based on my research, of of culture as well as DNA. So it's both biologic, hardwired, and, of course, sociological. And as a result, men don't see women as leaders. Men don't see women as doing the right thing. Men think that if women take a rival after they don't get a position, so you beat out your competitor, you take on a position, and instead of cutting off the, the rival at the knees, women tend to make an ally out of that person. And men see that as insecure or incompetent or weak. I see that as courageous and smart because they've turned institutional memory and talent and someone who knows what he or she is doing into an ally. And in, in addition, women tend to ask a lot of questions about projects. Men see that as, oh, it must be that they don't know how to do the job. Men just roll up their sleeves. They dive in. They figure it out later. Women want to know, how do you get how do you get from point A to point B? They may ask one question too many, but it adds value to a project, and it, it pushes the envelope, and it allows people to see different alternative ways of doing things. So those are just a few examples of what I mean by being equal doesn't mean being the same. One is not better than the other. I always give what I call the Miranda warning, <laughs> which is... Uh, all men and all women are not the same Not, you know, it's a continuum and we've seen this in the last few years particularly with transgender and how fluid gender identity is but there are proven study after study after study most of which I cite in the book and some of which we can talk about that shows there are female and male characteristics so it's like saying red is better than green or green is not the case, one is not better than the other they're simply different
0: Well, Joanna, I think you hit it on the note, you really hit it on the head, and you actually do a SWOT analysis in being, equal does not mean the same, that really kind of lays it out, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, um, and and how to, I thought that was fascinating, Um, and just a few of them, you know, as you said, women um, can quickly connect with prospects and stakeholders, they're incredible multitaskers, they ask more and more relevant questions, they're very good at organizing, and they're Empowering um, to others and have excellent communication skills. And as someone who employed twenty people at one point, I can tell you all those characteristics were indicative of the women I hired, and the men were completely different. And um, but then, but then on the flip side, as you say in here, undersell their accomplishments. Won't yeah, ask women, for money directly. What else? Right.
1: Well, there's there's women tend to wait to be recognized as opposed to saying I can do it. So they kick tires, they dot eyes, they. Take a long time, agonizingly long time, to just open the door and cross the threshold of opportunity. And it's my advice to just take that walk, take that leap. Men do it without really thinking so hard about it, and and there are reasons for this because when women fail, they fall harder than men, and, and the idea of money being something women are more uh, careful about also makes sense because they earn less, as you pointed out in your intro, mm-hmm. and they're in and out of the workforce, and they have less than the 401K, and they, they take time off for kids and relatives, so there's a reason why women see money as a pool, typically, and men see money as a faucet that can, you know, you turn it on and off, I mean, this is real life. But women have got to take the risk. They have got to take on capital when they need it. They, they, entrepreneurs, female entrepreneurs tend to bootstrap as opposed to taking on a loan. These are these are these are all the the issues. I think that I hope will come in time. But that's why I talk about the gender toolbox, mm-hmm. which is learning from the strengths of each. Of each, um, gender of each sex. So men can learn from women how to manage in a collegial way so people are encouraged to come forward with ideas as opposed to being scared, a judgment. Women can be encouraged to make bench, serious benchmarking performance and, uh, standards because the relationship sometimes gets in the way. And also, you know, to take the risks that are necessary, that are good for business women also have trouble often seeing the horizon you know mm-hmm. they work in the in the parlance of the day they work in the business instead of on it so they see see a lot of trees they don't see the forest men are better at strategic goals and, and looking far sighted.
0: well I, this raises a lot of questions joanna first of all um, i agree with all that i think i, I want to add i think a lot of women get too emotional about their business and you have to take yeah. your emotions out of it. I was told, I was told. somebody asked me one of the best um, business advices I ever got, and it was to have ice in my veins.
1: Yeah, that's to thing like a man. See, I don't buy it. I just, I just don't buy it. No one wants to see someone burst into tears, okay? No. Um, no, one, no one wants to see on the male side of it a man go nuts and irate and scream and bang the wall, which could no. be male behavior. So I, I don't think it's about emotion. I think it's about showing passion in appropriate ways. I think it's saying I care, which is becoming more and more okay in business, and that Mm -hmm. may be a millennial issue. You know, it's Mm -hmm. okay to say I'm really dedicated, I'm committed. So I I think this thing about don't be emotional is a leftover from, um, or should be a leftover from when the only default standards were male. I I, I just, I, I don't buy it, actually.
0: Well, I you know, I, I agree and disagree only because I think some of the worst decisions I ever made were because I, I got too emotional. I cared too much. Like, I didn't want to let yeah. them go. Poor them. They won't have jobs. Well, what about poor business? I was losing money. So, if I did it all over again, I would have, I would have taken a lot of my emotion out of it. But that's me. Um, I think for – and you hit on something interesting. For the millennial generation, which I was just reading another article, a lot of them are more anxious, more sensitive. They're taking time out. Um yeah. What's going on there? Um, And should they be learning from women, or should they be learning from men in terms of you know creating getting role models?
1: Well, I think we should be learning from each other um, definitely and and the millennial generation is it 's a little early mm-hmm. to make as sweeping <laughs> generalizations as I tend to do, and again, I, this, this is typical. <laughs> but this is the ten ninety nine economy they are living in the new normal, and so it 's mm-hmm. a gig based economy, right. and I think that millennials are therefore anxious and more careful about um, risk taking in careers. You know, the boomer generation was the first one to say, oh, I see, I'm not going to work for 50 years and get a pension. And mm. then we said, oh, I see, you have alternative sequential, sequential jobs. The, the, the millennials, I think, know that they have to have plan B, uh, front and center, yeah. all the time. Um, and there is some cross-gender stuff going on that I think is both... Uh, new and, and terrific, which is to say that millennial men are going to say, you know, I don't want to work 24-7. I want exactly. to do yoga. I want to go off to Machu Picchu just like the women. I want to take mm-hmm. time for my kids. I want to have a full and, and enriched life. And I think that whole work-life balance that used to be a girl thing is now becoming, you know, um, both, both sexes care about that. So, that's encouraging. Um, there is, however, e- mounting evidence, beginning evidence but the millennials, um, when they're reaching as they are now, 32, 33, mm-hmm. on the women's side, are finding, oh, I guess all these issues about pay really do kick in
0: mm-hmm. because
1: they're getting to an age where they want to have kids or mm-hmm. they're getting to an age where the man gets preferred. And mm-hmm. um, this may be the Hillary effect. I mean, that's, that may be why Hillary's not, not um, attracting younger women.
0: Hmm. Interesting theory. You know, I have... Um, I. I am in a different generation now, and I'm dealing with friends who basically, they either were forced out of their jobs, they were put yeah. to pasture, let's, let's take it, or they were um, somebody leaped over them, and, and they just realized that instead of trying to butt their head against the glass ceiling, they were just going to walk out the door. And they're starting over. So it, what would it, you say to them? I mean, there are a lot of women who are, are starting over in their 50s or 60s or even 70s and maybe they don't have the money because they lost it during the crash or they had to spend it to subsist while they were finding work or whatever. Some of them had messy divorces. What do you say to them as they start over later in life, which I think is a whole other ball of wax versus the millennial challenge, is how you yeah, start there, over when you're older.
1: Um, well, obviously it is different. There is um, increasingly a second and third act going on among mm-hmm. Everyone. Um, you know, the average age of the entrepreneur is not kids. They're, they're like 35 to 45 is the optimum.
0: Mm-hmm. People think it's
1: Zuckerberg and the teen stuff. Yeah. It's not, it's not mm-hmm. the case. Um, people tend to have some life first, and they have some skills, and then, they, and then they, they launch a company. So the women who are 40 or older, over 50, over 60, have some skills, and, and I would suggest they, they begin to parlay their networked group mm-hmm. because those women have been working and they have associations and networking and, and silos and, you know, social media to begin looking at and going to a, a wealth of resources that have sprung up now to support women, whether it be from community colleges or SCORE, mm-hmm. which is um, Retired Executive Society of uh, Retired to help. Advise you. There's small business administration. There's a whole bunch of workshops and and resources to help with business plans. They're online. I, there are crowdfunding campaigns mm-hmm. to associate. I would suggest they try and get out and and work with someone else. You know, try and partner for a bit
0: because it's yeah. lonely. Very it's very lonely. I mean, I I went from having twenty people to me and my husband, and then I let my husband go, <laughs> um, oh. and it's just me. I mean, we, we, we were together, but we agreed not to work in the same company. We, we'd do different things because we can't right. all have the same income coming in one stream. Um, but I'll so- tell
1: you there there, there is a, there is an opportunity to following your yeah. passion. At an older age. I mean, the, there's yeah. a woman I profile in my book who was uh, an artist, a painter, mm-hmm. and she was a beauty queen. Mm-hmm. And she did a whole bunch of stuff, and she lost everything mm-hmm. in the 2008 meltdown. She had a house. It's gone. She had an oh. income. It's gone. She had a gallery. It was gone. Mm-hmm. And she decided to become what is called a um, micropigmentation artist, which is that she tattoos nipples for women who have had breast cancer and had breast removes to give them think, yeah. back. some. So, and, and she's dedicated to this, and she has testimonials from women who feel that, they've, that she's made them whole again in ways that just make me weep. I, I have been so moved. She's by very she, famous,
0: actually. She's a very famous for that.
1: In, in, in our area, in the New York area, I don't, yeah. So um, it is an opportunity to do what you really want to do.
0: Well, you know, I think that, you know, the message to anyone listening is that, you know, if you're stuck in a dead-end job uh, just because you need the money but you have a dream, don't put your, don't shelve your dream and you're never too old to start it. I mean, you know, classic case, I, I had a successful company. I walked away from it because I was diagnosed with breast cancer and the company no longer fit. I no longer felt it was healthy for me. And so I pursued and I mean, how I ended up in doing this going back to what I love most of all, which is communicating in different ways. I just basically found my voice and became, went back to writing and then I decided to use it in radio and to speak. So you all have talents and you all, everybody has talents. It's just a matter of rethinking them and maybe going back and partnering with other people to use them in a different way, right?
1: yeah I would agree, and also to 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 go where the boys are. We'll
0: <laughs> I, let's I think talk there's about a, that. yeah
1: yeah there's, there's a tendency for women, and I, you know I do, I do a lot of speaking, as probably you mm-hmm. do, and certainly writing, and my focus is on in, empowering and inspiring and offering women advice. Um, but it's the men who have the dough. Um, especially mm-hmm. if you 're looking for backing as a as a right. woman adventure it 's the men who have the power if you 're in a corporation or, or a business so i I really think women need to walk into those offices, those rooms where the pitch contests are and mm-hmm. um, ask for what they want what they need in a direct and clear voice don 't wait to be tapped on the shoulder don 't wait for someone to recognize oh, I see you 're hanging out here um go ask and and that 's what I call. The need for women to put on their big girl pants and just go out there.
0: Well, don't be the self on the shelf. Um, you know, I was listening to one of your um, podcasts on Women's Playbook, and it was about um, t- asking for money. And 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 the gentleman said, you know, d- don't ask for seed. You know, I actually rephrase it: don't ask for seed money; go for the whole feed bag. He right. said, you know, don't ask for a little money; ask for the millions of dollars.
1: Right. Start at the top.
0: Yeah. Actually, and I, I was inspired. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's uh, actually she has a deep voice. It's a woman, uh, Laura Fredericks, and she has really? a business. Like yeah, a <laughs> she was. Yeah, she has, and it's um, and she began as a nonprofit fundraiser. Actually, she began as as assistant attorney general in Pennsylvania, but she began raising uh, millions of dollars for nonprofits, and then gradually um, broadened that ask to wellness and. Personal mm-hmm. uh, finances and entrepreneurship, and it's just um, you know, as soon as she starts talking about how we don't ask, we women, you sit up and you say, "Wow, <laughs> that is so true." I am,
0: it is. Or we ask for too little, or are we ask in such a way where it's, "I hate to bother you, but you right. know, you have to demand," and yet. Well, one I don't of know. But men have to be rejection. direct. Yeah, but fear yeah. Of rejection is, is probably the number one reason, right? That you don't do that.
1: Um, or, well, I don't know, I think, I wouldn't say it's always bad, I would also say women don't like to stand out, they're uncomfortable Hmm. being in the limelight, um, some women are uncomfortable if they're too noisy or their outline is too sharp, we're taught to be complacent, we're taught to be, appreciate what we have, we're taught not to, you know, there's a whole range of cultural kinds of characteristics besides the fact that we don't Want to, you know, we're afraid of not being liked. But you remember that whole flap with Jennifer Lawrence um, about mm-hmm. four months ago where she said that in the Silver Linings Playbook... No, no, it was it was the other film that, that won the award where there were all these stars. And all the guys got more money than she did. Mm-hmm. And she was afraid to ask for more because she felt she wouldn't be liked. So you have a point, you know, it's that women want to be liked a lot. And she's learned her lesson, I think. We'll see.
0: No, she's. I think one of the highest-paid actresses. So she's yeah supposed to be
1: doing pretty right. Well. We don't need to feel sorry for her, but it, but yeah. it, but to me it was resonant because even women at the top have have this issue. I mean, she walked it back a, a bit after it came out, probably for the reason you say it was kind of embarrassing for her to be saying I didn't make twelve million. I made four, or whatever it was. But 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 there is that emotional component that that resonates. I think.
0: Very much so, and and and, and gender bias, uh, and and you really dive into this. And in being equal doesn't be, mean being the same. And about there is gender bias, and how we need to really um, overcome that. And 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 I was at a, um, an event called Founder Made, um, where it was one on health and wellness, and there were a lot of um, successful w- mainly women entrepreneurs talking. And then they had the VC, the, the venture capitalist panel come on, and it was all men. That's and I so just bad. Yeah, crazy. Now, why, why aren't there more, or shouldn't there be more venture capitalists who are women? They're angel well, what, investors, but that's different.
1: Yeah, m- way different. And that's also because, um, you know, why aren't there more women CEOs in the Fortune 500? So, there's, there's intentional bias. There's a lot of what I call now, and I'm not the only one, unintentional bias, which is, this is the way I feel comfortable. I don't really see it as bias. I just think this is... This is someone who knows what he's doing in in this situation. And again, men don't see leaders when women behave like women. So the VC VC component, there are now, I think, 90% of venture capitalists are male, and I would probably say, I'm making this up, 89% are white. So it's Mm -hmm. not just women and men, it's minorities as well. And yet the fastest-growing component of entrepreneurial launches in this country is black women. African-American women are launching faster than any, I mean, women are launching Faster than men, uh-huh. one and a half times the national average, and black right. women are launching faster than that. So, there are now 1. Wow. 1. 1.5 million women-owned businesses, African American women-owned, and they're bringing in 44 billion dollars a year. Wow! And they're getting they're not, they're kidding, they're not even attracting the angels most you know most of the time. So the so the angel uh, investor is an affluent individual. It's mm-hmm. very little money compared to VC, which is also right. why. Um, why it's happening. And that's a nascent kind of indicator that looks good. It's still small. So there are now about 317,000 angels in this country, according to the Center for Venture Research. In 2012, there were 13% of those uh, female, so about a little more than one in 10. Two years later, in 2014, that had jumped at 26%, so twice the number, almost three out of 10. And that's great, but it's still only a quarter, right? Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of the occasion, equation, there are um, people, um, founders, who are applying for, mm-hmm. for angel investor mm-hmm. kinds of backing, and that's pretty low. So women are not applying. It's the, same, it's the same as we were saying about the ask. They're not asking for backing. And that, I think there are reasons for that, too. I think women, um, particularly if they've come out of corporate life, are very... Uh, uneasy about taking on partners and giving up control because that's, that's the way they've been having to live their life for the last 10 or 15 years, you know, mm-hmm. and and they'd rather just do it themselves, and if it's a work-life balance issue, it's very hard to delegate, it's very hard to mm-hmm. take on a partner, you do it when you can, and then, did you know, as soon as you take on a partner and it becomes 51%. Say you take on a venture capitalist equity partner. That guy's doing nothing but giving you dough. You're running your company. So now he owns, say, 51%. You own 49%. It's now not considered a women company
2: hmm.
1: because it's all about the ownership. Even right. though she built it, she's growing it, she's promoting it, she's still running it. But, so I have no idea how many bigger women companies there are that have VC backing, which, as we know, is male. Interesting. And, and, and they own, you know, they own 51%. I mean, most times venture capital won't take that much, but you never know.
0: And then, of course, the other area that's growing in popularity is crowdfunding. And I know Plum yep. Alley is one that uh, – and I just want everybody listening um, in a little bit of the time we have that, in, uh, that back of being equal doesn't mean being the same. Joanna has about over 20 pages, I counted them, of resources – Right. Um, Every kind, including contests and crowdfunding um, to help you find. I mean, it was great research. But so, what do you think about crowdfunding?
1: Yeah, and also I, I should say that the book is available on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com uh-huh. and so forth. Um crowdfunding is a terrific game changer. It's um it's a lot of work. It's a huge amount of work to do Everybody
0: says that. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: it really is. But but it, for women, I mean it's a crowd, it's a game changer for all entrepreneurs, but for women particularly, it takes the gatekeeper out of the equation. So you're peer to peer. I can put up a a a campaign on, on Kickstarter or Indiegogo. And I can attract women in Hong Kong and in Rio and in Vancouver and in Utah, and I'm asking for you know four hundred, eight hundred, nine thousand dollars, and I don't even yet have to have a product. You know, I don't even necessarily have to have a business plan, all of which you better you know really have in tow because you'll need it. <laughs> but, right. Um, so I'm not I'm not I'm not legislating for not doing that. I'm not I'm not endorsing that. But it just takes away all that. Um, all those kind of judgments that all the eyes have to be dotted and T's crossed in, in that specific right. kind of venture capital way, and it's 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 obviously changing the universe of entrepreneurship.
0: I think it's really exciting. I mean, the good news is that, in summarizing, there are more opportunities for women to launch, learn, and launch businesses at every level. And I think the key is to find out where you can find the resources. Think big. Even if you're launching a small business, think big.
1: Yes, and the, yeah. the, the online resources are just extraordinary because, of mm. course, all these major corporations, Dell and Amex and so on, they're, mm. they're desperate to find women customers, Yeah, <laughs> and what, yeah. women represent billions of dollars of potential customers, so, you know, we're in good position here.
0: Well, I agree. It's really exciting. Um, I want to remind everybody that um, Joanna Croats has. Um, you can find her on Huffington Post. She also has written for you know Entrepreneur Magazine, MSN Small Business. Oh the, Oprah, oh, the Oprah Magazine, um, New York Times, um, you can find her at Working Mother Magazine, and also your websites, which are women. www.womensplaybook.com, right?
1: Right, and that's, yes, and the older one, which has to do with women in philanthropy that I also am associated mm-hmm. with is my name, Joanna Croats, K-R-O-T-Z.com.
0: Well, it's been a real pleasure to um, speak with you today. I just uh, love listening to your podcast. I think this is a terrific book. Um, It has given me lots of ideas as I have rethought my own vision of where I want to go in my business. And so anyone listening out there, anything is possible. Dream it, do it. And most importantly, support the She-Economy. Either be a woman-owned business, support a woman-owned business, invest in a woman-owned business, or mentor. Joanne, I want to thank you again for being with me today. Thank you, Melanie. Thanks for the platform. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. You've been listening to Fearless Fabulous You with Melanie Young, and we're going to take a short break. You know, no one to give you what you want. That a great session with Joanna Croats talking about women entrepreneurs. You're listening to Melanie Young, and I hope you're following me on Mighty Melanie on Twitter. Well, speaking of women entrepreneurs, I have one on next who you're going to love her story. Um, as you all know, it's March is Nutrition Month, and I am speaking with Susan Bratton, who is the founder and CEO of a wonderful company called Savor Health. Savor Health is probably one of the best. Sources for cancer nutrition in the United States and provides custom oncology supervised meals for cancer patients delivered anywhere in the United States. I think it's the Lower Forty Eight, right, Susan?
2: Right, it is.
0: And um, Susan is an entrepreneur. She started. I think you started this company about how many years ago now?
2: Four, four years ago.
0: Yeah, you came from Wall Street.
2: Yeah, many, many
0: years. <laughs> um, and I bring that up because my guest before you we talked about women in business and how difficult it is for some women to launch and how challenging because a lot of women don't know how to go and ask for the money and I know that that is you know you're very skilled at doing that and building a business because I've watched you do it but it is a challenge for all women entrepreneurs and we're going to start we're going to start with a story but as what is your message to women entrepreneurs out there who are starting now that you've successfully launched since we're following up that topic.
2: Well, I think it's um, it fits in really nicely with the name of this program, which is Fearless Fabulous You, and I yeah. think probably the best thing I could tell people is, is really to be fearless, to not be afraid, to go out there and to to ask for the order, ask for what you want mm-hmm. and go for it and don't be apologetic and, um, and really be fearless in, in pursuing your passion and pursuing your dreams. So it fits in nicely with your theme.
0: Exactly. Well, I said in a tweet today, don't ask for seed money. Go over the whole feedback. bag um, because Joanna's <laughs> podcast was ask for the million dollars. Don't ask for a few thousand. Um, you built uh, Saver Health. You originally called it Meals to Heal. And as you developed your platform, you've broadened it actually because uh, eating and nutrition is paramount for everybody. But you decided to center in on cancer nutrition. Let's talk about why you did this because it's a very compelling story. So I
2: started with with nutrition really out of a, a nutrition for cancer patients out of a personal experience. I lost a very close friend to a brain tumor and through that experience was struck by the fact that my friend was told that nutrition didn't matter and to eat whatever he wanted. And that just struck me as as kind of strange. So I went to the research. I went to the evidence-based literature, and what I found was that my friend's situation was not the exception but really the rule and that nutritional issues are pervasive in all cancer patients, um, not just my friend. So with that, I said, okay, if that's the case, and if there's also great evidence that shows that when their nutritional issues are addressed, their clinical and their quality of life outcomes improve, then there's there's something really here, and why is it that we're not getting patients the proper nutrition that they need? And so I went to find what the major impediments were, and it really came down to three things. The first is side effects. Things like fatigue and lack of energy, which make it difficult, if not impossible, to prepare your meals, or something like mouth sores, which make eating very painful and unpleasant. The second impediment was information. In this case, there's just so much information available on the Internet that you don't know what to do, Mm -hmm. Um, and patients and caregivers are overwhelmed. And then the last impediment was an absence of nutritional counseling. Eighty percent of cancer patients never see a dietitian even once. So with that, I said, okay, there are three major impediments here. I'm going to design uh, a business and a solution around addressing those major impediments. And that was really the, um, the story behind how, how we launched Saver Health, which, as you said, was Meals to Heal in the beginning.
0: Well, it's a, you know I have to just add right here for everyone listening, since we've been talking about women entrepreneurs, that some of the most successful businesses that launch identify and help solve problems and in this case um, a lot of Many people were not paying attention to c- cancer nutrition. I, as a cancer survivor, did because I knew that I wanted to eat my way back to health. But then I'm a food professional. Most people don't. You spent a lot of time, Susan, doing research, and you brought on some of the best talent I can imagine. I mean, you're, you're one of your um, your chief um, operating officer is Jessica Iannota, um who's a an MS, a registered dietitian, a certified dietary nutritionist, and she's a sp- specialist in unconscious nutrition, which is, as you said, really addresses what the heart of the matter is that many cancer patients cannot digest, chew, or swallow, or too fatigued, or food does not appeal to them. Right? Right. No,
2: absolutely. And it's really those... It's those side effects that eating, make eating so difficult, unpleasant, um, stressful. It's very stressful. You don't want to eat if your mouth hurts mm-hmm. or if, right. if you throw up. So, so it's not just that you can't eat. Sometimes you just
0: don't want to eat. Or you're fearful. In my case, uh, the constipation from the opo- op- opioid medicines... Painkillers to the regular people. Right. It was so bad that I didn't want to eat because I knew it was ever going to come out, and I, I was in pain that way. Now, what I love is, first of all, Saver Health delivers meals, um, and it's a subscription service, correct? Um, we have a subscription that's a piece of it, but it's really a personalized
2: nutrition solution okay. that takes into account patient-specific needs, and then based on that, we'll recommend... The Mm -hmm. solution that's best for them. So as you mentioned, we would, we would recommend for somebody who's isolated, lives alone, too tired to prepare meals, we would recommend meal delivery. Mm -hmm. And what we would do is, is recommend the meals that are best suited to help manage their side effects and meet their nutritional needs. Right. But we could also, maybe somebody can cook for themselves and they want to cook for themselves, but they don't know what to cook. In that case, we have a subscription based offering Mm -hmm. where they can get individually customized recipes and content Mm -hmm. Uh, which empowers them to go ahead and cook for themselves, which a lot of people want to do. Right. And then the third solution uh, is is nutritional counseling. And as you mentioned, we have Jessica Ionata, but we have 10 other oncology credentialed right. registered dietitians and nurses who can do um, telephonic or video nutrition consults with somebody who really just wants to talk to a knowledge, experience, credentialed oncology nutrition professional. So we can do that as well. So it really depends on what the patient's specific needs are, nutritional needs, and also their caregiving situation. Do they have right. help at home right. or don't they? <clears throat>
0: big, And that's a big issue. And, and the next piece of this, which is the news, is that you have now published a cookbook, um, the Meals yeah. to Heal Cookbook, 150 Easy Nutritionally Balanced Recipes to Nourish You During Your Battle with Cancer. And I have read this book. It's terrific. Um, I would cook any of these dishes anytime. Um, They are really wonderful. And what I love about this book, Susan, is that you have a key with every recipe um, so that the recipe also you can learn how it may help ameliorate or alleviate side effects, right?
2: Yes, exactly. That's how, you know, we really felt like there needed to be a book out there that a patient or a caregiver could go to and say, my loved one has diarrhea, what can I prepare that, that will actually make that better, not worse, mm-hmm. um, or mouth sores or any of the many side effects that patients have? Um, but I also felt very strongly that these needed to be easy to prepare because of the, the fatigue mm-hmm. um, that patients and caregivers experience. And then lastly, um, this is a plant-based, primarily plant-based um, cookbook, and it was very important to me as the research has been coming out about the health benefits of a plant-based diet, and so right. this uh, this cookbook is skewed very heavily um, to to plant-based uh, foods, and and they're as you said, they're just delicious, and anybody in the family will want to eat them. But I hope we also um, help people become more comfortable with kind of changing the composition of their plate to more plant and less animal protein. Um, So that's one of the objectives.
0: And I'm just going to, you know, some of the recipes in there just to give you, because I'm the food person, you know, Tuscan white bean vegetable soup, peach, cardamom, honeyed yogurt, um, vegan mushroom breakfast burritos. Um, you do have a, some, some things like you have a shrimp salad sandwich. I actually went kind of bonkers with the egg with the, um, the egg and the avocado. So there are a few things that are not plant-based, but the majority of it is um, super smooth ginger hummus. G- ginger is just one of the best things ever when you're going through chemotherapy because it settles your stomach. Mm-hmm. really really good but you, you you emphasize easy um and it's true because a lot of people facing cancer sadly are living alone they're elderly they may be young and they just um i actually susan i actually think this book would be really great for people who are elderly too
2: yes uh yeah absolutely um I, because the recipes are so easy to prepare and they're so nutritionally dense as well and as mm-hmm. you know um, that malnutrition is a is a very significant problem in the elderly. So I, I think you're absolutely right, and uh, anybody should feel comfortable giving this to an elderly person or the caregiver of an elderly person.
0: Yeah, I think about that as I vision my mother eating over a sink. Um, and 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 you know, there are wonderful meal delivery services for the elderly, but nothing that really helps them cook at home. So it's it's really really terrific. Um, and the book is coming out or is just out, right? It's just it's out. Um, it's, mm-hmm.
2: it's, it's, it's hot off the press. Yeah, it'll be in bookstores by April 12th, if not earlier.
0: Um, very terrific book. You also provide, and I just want to um, briefly, because we have some time, talk about the food safety and handling tips in the book, um, some of the things to consider, because a lot of people think about what to put in their body, but that they don't think about how they're handling the food. <laughs>
2: Right, and so many cancer patients are immune-compromised, um, mm-hmm. not just those that have had bone marrow or stem cell transplants, but all patients, your your immune system is just a little bit compromised and weakened, so food safety is really important, and we we cover a lot of topics. I mean, one of the things that, besides the, the, something that most people know, washing your hands, um, I think one of the things that's most most important here that everyone should know is when you're defrosting or thawing something that's been frozen, don't put it out on your counter at room temperature. It should always be defrosted in the refrigerator um, mm-hmm. for the safest uh, outcome. And then we've got things on food storage and also um, cooking uh, different different foods to the proper temperature so that they're fully cooked through and all of the bacteria um, has been has been killed. So yeah, there's a lot in there as well.
0: Yeah, and some foods just should not touch other foods. I learned that actually with a, another author on the show. Like, I had no idea. Some foods should not touch other foods. What is your take on microwaving out of curiosity? <sighs> Um, you know,
2: there've been a lot of studies, and and they're they're pretty inconclusive. Some people say don't microwave because mm-hmm. it ruins the the um, the composition of the of the food, but I've seen other studies that show the opposite. And 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 I haven't seen anything super compelling that says that it that it ruins the nutrients. And in some cases, it um, because it's done so quickly, it actually pres- there I've seen studies that show that it actually preserves and enhances the nutrient value because it's not like when you, when you soak some spinach in hot water for, mm-hmm. for too long, you, you leach it of the nutrient value, whereas if you do it for 30 seconds in the microwave, you, you, the nutrient value is still there. So,
0: Because I think cooking um, techniques are also important when you factor in food. And there's been a lot about grilling and charring and not to do it um, because it's carcinogenic. What do you know about that?
2: Yeah, so so the thing about grilling is 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 to not get things to very high heat. So you can right. grill, but don't hit it, put it on high. Mm-hmm. Grill it for a longer period of time at a lower heat. Um, that's the most important thing. And obviously, as you said, not you just uh, definitely shouldn't char it. Um, it should be a slow grill at a low temperature
0: it's hard for me I love grilling but I also want to be healthy the other thing is um, sugar Uh, very few of your recipes if any have sugar in them right? You have sugar substances. Not a not a lot of sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, and the
2: main, you know, the thing about sugar feeding cancer. I mean, there's the the, the real issue here is that sugar feeds sugar feeds all cells. But the problem, the yeah. link between sugar and cancer is one that is more related to diabetes diabetes and obesity. Uh-huh. Exactly. Um. So that's really the problem more than anything.
0: Well, I think I, I did a show on sugar last week with um, Sherry Kolbaum, and we had a long discussion about that. And, and I agree with you. I, the issue is, you know, and that's why you got to be really careful where you get your nutritional information
2: exactly. and why you should go to
0: safe health because it's like sugar does not cause cancer. Alcohol does not cause – these. they don't necessarily cause cancer. What they do is they feed cells and you get – Fat, you gain weight, and and weight gain, and particularly obesity, can lead to cancer. That exactly. is exactly yeah. So it's not like if I eat this, I will get cancer. Because we got to stop the food fu- the food fear factor, um, which is you know prevalent throughout everywhere these days. I was at a, a health food store the other day, and this man announced, "I'm not eating bread." I have no idea. We said bread. You know, you probably didn't have celiac disease. You know, it's like I'm not eating bread. It's not about fearing your food. You're going to love it. And what I love about the Meals to Heal cookbook and your approach is that you are a food company. You're a food nutrition company um, that you know has a community that has long been overlooked in mind when you come up with the recipes and it's really critical because you know if you've been to the hospital and you worked at Memorial Sloan Kettering um, for years as a volunteer to prepare and research as you were building and developing um, Saver Health you saw what people were being fed in the hospitals and then they go home yeah, and they don't horrible. know what to eat. Terrible. I mean you know they, we won't say names but it's all like sugary protein drinks and and you know well, keep it fresh right?
2: yeah well, I think the problem you know the problem in the in the hospitals is there's a couple of things, and it it comes down to economics. The food and dietary department in the hospitals have the lowest budget of any other department, so uh-huh. it's kind of overlooked, so they they don't buy good food, that's number one. And the second problem is, and this is a problem in the oncology field, not just in hospitals, and that is that the focus is on calories and mm-hmm. not nutrition. Uh-huh. And so in the hospital, what they're trying to do is prevent weight loss or reverse weight loss. And so what they do is they throw ice cream and other sorts of of empty calories at patients just to put on weight. And so... Mm-hmm. And they're also discharged from the hospital so quickly, oftentimes when they're still really too weak, they probably should still be in the hospital, but because of insurance, they get pushed out the door very quickly. So when they come out of the hospital, they are so at risk of malnutrition and being readmitted to the hospital Mm -hmm. because they're not nutritionally strong because Mm -hmm. they've been fed calories, not nutrients. And so, um, you know, I look at this cookbook and I look at... um, you know, ways that we can help cancer patients. And, and they're at their most critical time when they've been discharged from the hospital. And so that's mm-hmm. when nutrition, and nutrition, not calories, nutrition is so, so important because that's when you can start to build back the immune system and strengthen the, the patient to be able to withstand the treatment that they're undergoing and put on calories, but put on healthy calories.
0: That's a really good point. And for people listening, malnutrition French mal is bad mal means bad it means bad nutrition it doesn't mean you're underweight it can also mean you're overweight malnutrition means you're poorly new nu- you know you have poor nutrition and the key Correct. is to reverse that and improve it now are you planning to do more um with patients at long after treatment i know i just filled out and i'm working um, doing a lot of research on cancer survivorship and nutrition and i just filled out a survey that uh, tufts is doing actually on that um with cancer survivors are you looking to the future to that
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We really feel like the platform of Savor should take people from preventing cancer in the first place through healthy diet and exercise. When they, if they, if they do um, develop cancer, holding their hands throughout that time that they've been diagnosed, all the way through into survivorship, because. Nutrition is just as important, if not more important, after you finish treatment and you move into survivorship because your risk of recurrence mm-hmm. um, is correlated, is highly correlated with your nutritional health and your weight. And so, yeah. as you know, nutrition and physical activity are very, very important and they go hand in glove uh, in, during survivorship as well.
0: It is true, and and it has to be a real 360 print, And a lot of uh, survivors start out, you know, they start out fresh, you know, like the January first. I'm going to keep it on. I'm going to do well. And then over the years, and I'm doing some research on that right now. Over the years, it may slip back into old habits, and and it's like how to change and rewire yourself permanently. Many cancer patients are rewired as survivors, but it gets harder, I think, over time. And and I think there's there's not enough research yet done on that, to be honest, because everybody's trying to focus on finding a way to reduce the risk of cancer, finding a cure. Um, but I think it's something that we all need to keep our eyes on as well as just overall health and nutrition in, in the population as well. Um, so that we, uh, reduce risk of getting cancer as well, which really starts with, you know, teaching young people about nutrition. Susan, it's been really great to talk to you about this. I think this book is terrific. I, um, I read it one morning quietly and I have a lot of cancer I there are, there are not a lot of cancer nutrition books out there maybe like 3 or 4 this one really is one that everybody should run out and get it's called the Meals to Hills cookbook 150 easy nutritionally balanced recipes to nourish you during your battle with cancer you um watched your father go through cancer he had a bone marrow transplant he is how is he doing now
2: He's doing great he's doing fantastic I still haven't gotten him to stop eating meat, but I'm working on that.
0: Well, you know, he's he, but it's it's you know for anyone listening, if you are diagnosed with cancer or a loved one, just know that there is a lot you know. Obviously, you get the best best medical team you can on your side, but hand in hand with that, you have the ability to make healthy lifestyle changes through diet exercise, managing your stress, getting enough sleep, and taking better care of yourself to help you heal and hopefully beat your diagnosis and stay healthy for life. Susan Bratton, um, founder of Saver Health. Tell everybody where they can find your website and social.
2: Sure. So our um, our website is saverhealth.com, S-A-V-O-R-H-E-A-L-T-H.com, mm-hmm. and our Twitter is at saver underscore health.
0: All right. I want to thank you so much for being on the show. Um, ladies listening out there, you've been listening to Fearless Fabulous You with Melanie Young, and we've been talking with Susan Bratton. As you know, all of my shows are permanently Podcast on iHeart.com and the free iHeart app. You can listen all the time. I'm launching a shorter podcast series by demand. You can follow everything I do and write on MelanieYoung.com, Fearless, Fabulous Melanie. And I also want to shout out to Susan, who is my nutrition expert for my own book, Getting Things Off My Chest, A Survivor's Guide to Staying Fearless and Fabulous in the Face of Breast Cancer. I turned to Susan and to Jessica to help me really knock out and put down a great nutrition chapter. So I want to thank. Thank you for that because that book went on to win two awards. And I hope yours does the same. Mine's in its second printing. I'm sure this one's going to go far, the Meals to Hill cookbook. Thank you, Susan, very much. And to everyone listening, have a fearless, fabulous week. Thank you. Take care.